The art of the perfect fly. One of fly fishing's biggest challenges to use feathers and hair and hooks and thread and steady hands to tie something truly beautiful and also that maybe more importantly attracts fish. Javer Hells does so professionally right here in Minnesota. He is proprietor of Stonefly Works and a guy who sort of had to reinvent himself. Today, Jay's story and a few tales I hope you enjoy as much as I did. I'm Bill Shirk. I hunt, I fish, I camp, and I tell tales. Welcome to the Minnesota Bound Podcast, the stories behind the stories. Well, Jay, thanks for joining me today. Um, this is going to be an interesting one. We've got a lot to talk about um, with your history, but first I want to get to all the tats. Unfortunately, we are audio, not video, but you are covered in tattoos. What gives? <laughs> you know, it's funny because uh, first, th thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. And, uh, um, you know, all my tattoos just tell my story. Um, I, I see them as kind of like a totem. I tell my kids, you know, when they ask me questions about them, that it's all these experiences that I've had in my life that really, uh, that I really feel like I need to put down onto something permanently and that's my body. So, so if somebody, so if somebody passes you at the grocery store, it's like they look at you and they see fish, fish, fish. <laughs> You've got a couple, right? Yes. I've got uh 12 fish tattoos as of right now or fishing related tattoos. So yeah, they, I stand out pretty well as a fisherman, I think, right away, between that and my truck. <laughs> and you you got your first one when? Uh, my first fishing tattoo that I got was probably in 2000 and I would say 2006 when I first started doing some guiding out in Colorado. And it's a dry fly tattoo on my forearm of a uh, pair of Adams, one of my favorite favorite patterns um for any sort of dry fly fishing and mimicking out in colorado size 18 pair of adams is what my buddy kirk used to say every day <laughs> what are you fishing with size 18 pair of adams what are you gonna fish today size 18 pair of adams so <laughs> always the same so you remember your first tattoo do you remember the first fly you ever tied uh, yeah, I do. And I can tell you it was a San Juan worm, the, the epitome of the first fly ever being yep. tied um, for any angler, I think, is that's the first one you learn. That's actually the first one I teach uh, when I'm teaching classes for trout um, is the San Juan worm. And it's funny how productive that one fly can be and how simple it is to tie. Yeah, which is just a little bit of... I don't even know what the material's called. I should know, but it's just a hook, a little bit of uh, chenille, thread, and chenille, almost like uh, the material used in pipe cleaners, right? <laughs> and it, exactly. And it mimics a worm, which in dirty or high water just catches fish. And I really want to get today to like this whole fly tying thing, your guiding business. 
um, some of the moves you've made, but I want to go back. Let's, let's go back in time. You're a Michigan guy. You grew up in Holland, Michigan. What was being a kid like for you? Oh man, that's, uh, you know, I, I lived in, yeah, in a small town area of Holland, Michigan called Grasco County. And I mean, it was kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, now it's a big golf course and <laughs> of course a whole bunch of other apartments, but mm-hmm. then it was the middle of nowhere and I was outdoors all the time. I was that kid that my parents didn't have to kick me outside. I just was out there anyway. They had to call me inside. Um, try to find you um, when it got dark. Exactly. I was, you know, when the, when the, the TV program said it's 10 o'clock, do you know where your kids are? Uh, back in the eighties, that was my family going, Oh yeah, we should find him. <laughs> so what, what were you doing? Uh, I was playing in creeks and, uh, catching grasshoppers and frogs and out in the back ponds. Um, we grew up in corn country for that area. So there was a lot of cornfields to run through, um, catching spiders, uh, big corn spiders and stuff like that was, was just fantastic. Um, and spent a lot of time trying to build traps and, uh, you know, catching snakes. Uh, <laughs> and that was before, you know, that was as a kid, kid before, you know, I found some sports and girls and things of that nature. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, that was my everyday, like for the summer running outside and just going and playing in the creeks. Was fishing a thing for you at that time? Yeah. Fishing was, um, you know, it, I grew up with a dad who fished a lot and we fished a lot off the piers, um, all the way up the coast of the West side of Michigan on, uh, Lake Michigan. And, mm-hmm. uh, we do a lot of perch fishing. We do, you know, when the salmon, uh, would be running, we'd be trying to get salmon, brown trout. Um, and the jumbo perch, you know, off the piers is just, just a fantastic way of fishing. Um, so you could catch two at a time there. You could have two hooks set up at a time on a rod and you just pull them in hand over fist. So it was a lot of fun there. Um, but yeah, I was, I was a kid. There's pictures of me at the end of my dock with a fishing rod between my toes at the age of like three, just sitting in about two feet of water waiting for a bite while everybody else is, you know, playing on the beach and running around. (laughs) So, uh, it's just where I was and, you know, I I've always enjoyed fishing. When did you transition from conventional gear into fly? Like for most people, there's some point where they mm-hmm. decide they're going to try it or change. Yeah. So um, I I first tried it uh, in high school and that was just like a, a day thing. And I you know never really thought too much about it. But when I went to Alaska and I was a horse pack guide up there, um, I met up with a bunch of guys that were big into salmon. And I was like, Oh, you know, I love fishing too. And we, you know, they invited me out with them and all of a sudden I got a rod in my hand that I've never really thrown before. And I'm watching indicators floating down a a river and I'm like, what is going on? And I got into the rhythm of it all. And I was like, wow, this just feels right. Like this, this fits my personality of, um, you know, nonstop energy and movement way better. <laughs> so, mm. and of course the first salmon that you fight, uh, on a fly rod is pretty exceptional. So, uh, for me, it was trial by fire. Um, but yeah, that's, I would 100% hands down, never forget that day out on the river. It was fantastic. And what was it for you? I mean, what was the difference? 
Uh, the difference was more for me, I think, uh, a finesse um, along with uh, I'm not just heaving something out there. I have to present it in a certain way by matching the current of the stream, by matching the wind, by matching everything else. I'm constantly moving, mending, um, changing things to adapt to what's around me. Um, and it's not just changing a lure, it's changing what is going on with the river, whether the river is going higher, lower, a back eddy, a uh, pool of rocks, how can I mend it to get it to a certain area? Um, it's, you know, all those things that you are just constantly focused and on something. All right. So you're you're learning that. Is it Alaska where you start trying to tie a few flies? Uh, no, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't really until I started guiding out in Colorado um, that I started tying my own. I knew quite a few tires, so I wasn't at that point where I felt like I needed to do it. <laughs> mm. And, uh, you know, there are some shops that I worked for um, that you, you know, tied flies on on days off, you know, if bookings were canceled or anything like that. So um, I got more into that side of it and the winter time too. Um, it, it's a great way to spend time. Uh, but my main reason for tying flies, um, was the fact that I didn't really like what I was seeing out on the, on the water, um, from what other fly manufacturers had out there. There's just things that they're missing. And it's always been that way for me. Uh, surrounding flies. I love tying something different. Mm-hmm. All right. So Alaska, mm-hmm. Colorado, you obviously had some sense of wanderlust, like that adventure from being a kid wandering around to taking the world by storm. Yeah. Uh, when I graduated high school, I literally grabbed my diploma, shook a hand, um, and my mom drove me to the airport where I got on a flight and went to Anchorage um, and met up with my brother who lived there. And he gave me a ride to Denali and I started working. Um, wow. I knew right right away that I was not college bound material. Um, and your parents, no- your parents just said, OK, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, the conversation that we had, you know, for them, I kept dragging my feet. They're like, we need to go do college tours. We need to go do this. You know, what are your next step thoughts? And all of them surrounded just being outside, Um, whether it was working for the forestry service or I was going to do search and rescue or uh, be an EMT. um, That kind of stuff was always there for me. Um, But I knew that I wanted to get out of where I, you know, had grown up that I needed to see something different. And that to me was, you know, I'm so grateful for them to allow me to do that. Not to be like, nope, college, here it goes. This is where we're signing you up. You need to choose that. It was like, well, we're not going to fight you. (laughs) We're not going (laughs) to win. So here you go. Um, We'll send you on a plane out there. And this is still, you know, the land of the beginning of the internet where I had to, you know, had a job on paper only. and it was through the mail that they accepted me to go up and I was supposed to be um, cleaning cabins and I uh, ended up, they gave my job away and I ended up dishwashing um, for breakfast in the morning and I hated that job. 
So I, I met a guy at a bar one night and he said, I had to fire my whole crew of horse wranglers. Do you have any experience? I said, no. He said, I'll train you. I really like wow. you. Come on. He's like, come on out. I'll, I'll pick you up in the morning outside of your, um, outside of the lodging area. And he did. Mm-hmm. And it was great. No way. Yeah. Yeah. So an average day was like what? Uh, an average day horse guiding. I was, so at that time I was the only one there and he was teaching me for about two weeks, he and his wife, um, just the ropes of, you know, 45 head of horses, all quarter horses, all trail, um, uh, trained horses. So it it was decent, but I mean, it's like you wake up in the morning at 5am and start feeding the horses and corralling and then we didn't have cell phones or a radio. So they would come out in the morning and deliver some food to me out in the middle of, you know, we were just on the outside of Denali national park. And they'd tell me how many people were coming for the morning ride, how many people were coming from the evening ride and how many people were coming for the dinner ride. And then I would prep all the horses for that uh, throughout the day. And we'd always make it a point to walk them out to the river, you know, and so they could drink all, you know, and, and water up and then come back the other way. And that's, it was just a blast at 18 to be, to be doing that kind of stuff was, you know, Oh, it's just amazing for me. Sun never set. I was in the mountains. I was the only one out there. Uh, he handed me a gun and <laughs> said, you know, you never know when the bears are going to show up. And I'm like, okay, don't have those in Holland, Michigan. So that'll be interesting. Wow. Yeah. And it worked, it worked out for months. It was great for three, four months almost. All right, so I want to get to the next move, to Colorado, and talk more about that. But before we do it, we have to thank a couple of the sponsors who helped make the Minnesota Bound podcast happen. Hang tight. Let's talk about our friends at the Minnesota Propane Association. It's summer season, which means thunderstorms can roll on in. Are you prepared for a power outage at your home or business? The Minnesota Propane Association wants you to know that installing a propane generator will ensure peace of mind when the power goes out. Also, the same propane that powers your generator can also power all the major appliances in your home. Installing propane appliances instead of electric appliances in your home or business will reduce the size and cost of the generator. Imagine running all your gas appliances at one time versus picking and choosing which electric ones to run during a power outage. Reliable, affordable, safe. Propane, the energy for everyone. To find out more about generators and propane appliances, go to propane.com. Also, it's time for Connecticut. You know, our Minnesota cabin life is in full swing. In fact, we're just back from four days up north. Such a joy now that we have Connecticut water in the woods. Last year, we were lucky enough to add Connecticut water at the cabin, and oh boy, what a difference. For as long as I can remember, we've dealt with that stinky, foul well water. But really, after a painless four-hour installation, we have Kinetico soft water and also Kinetico's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water to try and make early morning coffee. Great drinking water right out of the K5 tap. Our laundry no longer smells funny. And Kinetico water cleaned up the showers and the dishes. The world's most efficient worry-free water system. Visit Kinetico.com to find a dealer near you and join the Kinetico family. Hey there, Bill Shirk, the man about the woods. 
propane. It's clean, efficient fuel produced right here in the United States. Schedule your propane service with a friend. Lakes Gas, a family-owned provider serving the upper Midwest for more than 60 years. 54 convenient locations in Minnesota and Wisconsin. Now with offices in North Dakota and South Dakota, too. Lakes Gas employees live in the communities they serve, so you can expect personalized service from professionals. Oh, and the Lakes Gas offers competitive pricing without all the extras that tend to drive up fuel prices. Safe, dependable service. Lakes Gas, the right choice for your home, business, or farm. Visit lakesgas.com and join the family. All right, Jay Verhelst is my guest today of Stonefly Works. You're guiding in Alaska. You're doing the horses. What takes you to Colorado? Um, you know, uh, so I, I went, I, I just needed to go and make a move to something different. Um, Alaska was fantastic. Uh, it taught me so much. Um, but I wanted to, to really be in the mountains and run around and be around some other people, uh, as well, because, you know, it can get a little desolate up there. Uh, so, uh, going, going and working, uh, you know, I, I actually, got a job uh, out in Steamboat, uh, Colorado. So I flew back home to Michigan, grabbed, uh, cashed in my chips and uh, bought a 1989 Ford Aerostar conversion van. (laughs) I wouldn't admit that ever. Oh oh man. Yeah, it was, it was great. I think I paid $500 for it and it had a stop sign welded to the bottom of it uh, because there was such a big hole in it. Uh, But it, it was great. And this is, you know, for the listeners at home, you know, driving around in a conversion van isn't seen like it is nowadays with your sports mobiles and things of that nature. Just go ahead and Google what one of those looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, but I drove it out and got a job out in Steamboat. And uh, at the time, there was no lodging there. They were building that big uh, hotel at the base of Steamboat. So um, I had work. Uh, but I didn't have a place to live. And uh, I heard that Breckenridge was hiring. So I went out there and I was a snowboard instructor for a little bit during the first winter that I was in Colorado. And then it just kind of everything fit, uh, you know, the lifestyle, everything else. I just really enjoyed it. It was really me. And we had this beautiful river system that ran through that area. Um, The blue river in particular. Um, And, you know, we, we just sit there and, you know, with access to so much, you can't help yourself, but, but to play in it all. And that's really where fly fishing, uh, took traction for me. Um, you know, it was just such a cool, cool thing. And there wasn't a, a spin rod around Everybody had fly rods. So I, of course, drank the Kool-Aid and off I went. Well, you must've gotten good. Cause at some point you start a fly school, right? Yeah, catch and release trout school, Um, going from, you know, uh, guiding and stepping in and helping out um, on a lot of days. Most people think that, you know, you can just jump right into guiding out west and you just can't. Uh, You have to pay your dues. And I love that about it. Um, It's it's a great thing uh, to have, you know, that can cause conflict sometimes, but uh, really to pay your dues, to learn the rivers 
uh, to learn from those guides that are ahead of you is just, you know, it, it's a gift um, in, all in all. So uh, I started guiding and junior guiding and making my way through stuff, but I always felt like I like teaching more than the guiding aspect. So that's where Catch and Release Trout School was born in Evergreen, Colorado at that time. Um, people would come and learn from you. Yep. I teach casting. I teach tying. I teach uh, any class that people would really be interested in taking. And I was more than happy to uh, provide that. I just was always a big fan of you got to pass that knowledge on to the next. And it was doing well, I presume. Uh, yeah, it was doing, it was doing good. Um, you know, it, it definitely got some traction. I was still working as a, you know, winter times I was ski patrol at Loveland ski area. Um, and then I was teaching as well at, uh, Forest Heights Lodge, uh, working with kids there and youth, uh, and programs. Um, but yeah, the, the catch and release trout school was, was a great time. Um, and then the guiding side of it all, um, it, 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 I, I definitely loved, um, all the people that I met and all the knowledge that they could pass on to me for sure. And yeah, I thought that's where I'd be for the rest of my life. And nothing ever works out that way. <laughs> <laughs> so here you are in Minnesota. What, what happened? The phone rang one day. Oh, no, it was, uh, you know, I, I met a absolute beautiful Swedish woman um, who uh, was getting a job out here and we were married. So it made sense to to travel over here. And uh, I, I really I really did think that it was my fly fishing career was over. I, I visited Minnesota quite a few times and everybody here was Lindy Riggin for walleye and trolling and you know, it all just depends on who you meet and this, yep. you know, the group of family members and things like that. That's what they did. And that's, you know, Hey, we're going to go troll for some walleye. Or we're going to go ice fishing. So I was really in my head thinking, all right, it's done. Like I, I got on the internet, I searched all the different areas. I found the drift list, things like that, but it was still hours away. And yeah. So I, um, but you got to make the move sometimes. So. So what were your emotions at that point? Were you like, well, oh, I'll man. figure something new out, or were you kind of sick to your stomach? Oh, I was definitely sick to. Sick and to I'm asking stomach. that because it just, like, I get it. It gets in your DNA a little bit. Yep, and that's, I mean, that really is. I, I really thought that okay, I'm just going to have to give up completely on what I was doing. Uh, there's nobody, you know, there. I didn't know anyone in the fly fishing industry at that time in 2013 out here uh, that was doing anything like that. And uh, that was, you know, out here running drift boats or anything. And um, I really thought that I was just going to have to reinvent myself in a way, uh, you know, going from ski patrolling mountains and avalanche busting and uh, search and rescue stuff in the winters to, you know, who knows, shoveling snow out here, I guess being a plow driver. I don't know. I don't know what it would have brought, but I I got real lucky. So. So at what point were you here and you realized that, oh my gosh, the opportunities to throw a fly rod are actually pretty endless in some ways. Yeah. I, it, I met a gentleman named Mark Newman and um, he is an emergency room doctor 
and he and my wife knew each other or had met each other. And she said, Hey, you know, my, my husband's a fly fisherman. I heard you fish too. And he's like, does he know how to row a boat? She's like, well, yeah, he was a guide out West for a while. And he immediately called me, didn't even text, didn't send me a message was like, let's get together next week. What day do you have off? And I was like, what? And he shows up and I meet him on the St. Croix river and he's got a stealth craft, uh, bighorn skiff. And I was like, I know that boat it's from Michigan. And, you know, we just immediately hit it off. He and I still fish all the time together. And and he Um, looked at you and said, what do you do with this thing? (laughs) And he said, hop in, I'll show you. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, oh man, I went from casting four weights and five weights to eight weights so fast. It was ridiculous. And it just blew my mind. I was unbelievably sold on the fishing out here within the first week of fishing it. It was great. All right. So what happened to your fly tying passion? Yeah. So, um, I went from tying size 22, uh, midges and, you know, which are uh, tiny, by the way, for people who might not know, that's like darn near, you know, the size of a pepper ground. I mean, they're just tying them on at my age is tough, tiny. Yeah. And that's all the tailwater fishing that we did. I have boxes of them. I mean, I still have some boxes of them that are just like, this is absurd to look at, but from a size 22 to a one-aught for, you know, bait fish uh, patterns and streamers and no, no, no more dry flies. Then it went to articulated, um, double articulated. And, you know, the list, it just kept growing and growing. And then, you know, it was smallmouth bass, it was pike, and then I got into muskie, and uh, it was just, yeah. So <laughs> all of a sudden now we have 12 to 14-inch flies coming in, um, and my family still makes fun of me for all the little ones that I used to tie. And, uh, but, yeah, this is it, it just created a whole new artistic outlet for me to be able to say, hey, this is what, you know, this is what I can do with all of these materials. And I can make this really cool fly that swims through the water. And visually you can see all the eats and oh, it's just, it's just, yeah, it gets me excited as I'm sure you can tell. So is, is that kind of the birth of the Stonefly Works business? Yeah. So Stonefly Works, um, I needed a place, a platform to show off my flies and I didn't want to use Etsy and I didn't want to use eBay and I didn't want to use anything else online. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the social media is a necessary evil right now. And I wanted to have a place of my own that, you know, I wasn't getting lost in all the other buzz. I didn't want to do TikTok dances and <laughs> all that stuff that we see nowadays. Um, and that's my buddy was like, hey, let's let's do this. Um, let's get you a platform. I'm going to help you out. And, uh, you know, he's my buddy from Colorado, uh, Will, who just really pushed it and was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it now. And it's just been great. And that's, it's got tutorials on it. It's not only has myself on there, there's other tires that I know and that I, um, that I really appreciate their flies. They're on there presenting their, uh, patterns and materials. And then you can buy our goods as well. Um, all my flies are available online, uh, for sale. And that's, 
we'd like to keep it local. And that's what we say all the time. It's local flies. Well, that's, that's what was so fun. When you and I met, I was walking through the Great Waters Fly Fishing Expo, which is our local, you know, annual sort of trade show. And here you have this big booth all decked out, some of the most colorful stuff around. I'm like, why don't I know this guy? <laughs> yeah. Why don't you know this guy? You should know this guy. He's a good guy. But yeah. And you know, this, um, the, the website started, uh, 2019 really. Um, and I, I really just wanted to sell mainly in the Midwest area. Um, I'm happy to sell anywhere because of course, right? Like why wouldn't I want to make money off of it? But my patterns that I tie, a lot of them are based off of my experiences on the river in Minnesota, Michigan, Wisconsin. Um, so the stuff that you see on the site for me, for the most part, with my streamers, the musky flies, the bass flies, those are all ones that I've been fishing on the, uh, the Mississippi River and the St. Croix River. And from start to finish, you know, all the time I go out, I fish them, I bring back the flies, I tweak them, and I perfect them. So if you ask me, hey, I'm going out on the Minnesota or on the Mississippi tomorrow, um, what do you suggest? I can give you a whole list of them. Uh, you know, <laughs> and it's great to be able to provide local knowledge like that. And that's where fly tying used to be. You used to only be able to get those flies from the, the guides and the people on the river, which is so right. great. Right. All right. Well, well, keep your secrets for now, but we have to thank a couple more sponsors. But when we come back, I'm going to ask you a couple of specific questions. I'm hoping you'll give just a little bit of your favorite advice away. Deal? Deal. I can do right. that for you. Awesome. Jay Verhulst is my guest today. You're listening to the Minnesota Bound Podcast, the stories behind the stories. Uh, we have so many great sponsors that help us get on the air each week. Um, I'd like to give a shout out right now to the Minnesota Historical Society. You know, you can step into captivating history up at Split Rock Lighthouse. It is one of my single favorite Minnesota destinations. You visit the new exhibit that highlights the stories of the people who have called the lighthouse home. You can walk in the footsteps of former lighthouse keepers, marvel at the lighthouse lens. You can discover the wheel of the Madeira shipwreck recovered from Lake Superior's depths. It is a historic landmark that guided ships through dangerous waters. Come explore Split Rock Lighthouse, a timeless Lake Superior destination. You can learn more and plan your trip at mnhs.info slash split rock bound. Also, a shout out to our friends at Star Bank. Ron Shera here with a question. Have you ever heard of an economic first responder? That's an economic first responder. Well, it's real. Think of Star Bank. Star Bank is saving local businesses as an economic first responder in the Twin Cities, the West Metro, and rural Minnesota. StarBank has been helping small businesses keep their lights on, pay their rent, pay their employees for months now. In fact, StarBank has helped 629 local businesses during this pandemic. And they've been keeping small businesses on Minnesota's main streets as well. Keeping small businesses alive 
economic first responders indeed. You know, Star Bank is our local hero during this pandemic. Find Star Bank at starbank.net on Facebook and on LinkedIn. Bank locally with Star Bank. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. That's my choice, Star Bank. Ron Shera here. We also want to thank North Dakota Tourism. You know, North Dakota is one of my favorite all-time hunting destinations. I can't believe it. It's the middle of summer, and it's already time to start planning fall hunts in North Dakota. I have a few facts for you on the state's current hunting conditions. Get this. 2023 is one of the wettest springs on record which means an estimated 3.4 million breeding ducks. That number is up from last year. Also, the 2023 spring pheasant crowing count survey is up 30% from last year. You add to that North Dakota's plots program, you know, 800,000 acres of private land that is open to public walk-in hunting, and you have the perfect spot just waiting for your perfect fall hunt. Make memories and hunt North Dakota. Plan your adventure just like I do at hellond.com. Also, we'd like to thank Rudy Luther Toyota. Ready for a women-forward car dealership? Rudy Luther Toyota empowers their many women on staff in sales, management, and service. Whether you are looking for a new Toyota or pre-owned vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota has something for everyone. Every vehicle comes with a Luther Advantage. 10 cents off fuel and car wash discounts at holiday stations, Luther Advantage warranty, and five-day return policy on pre-owned vehicles. Located just five minutes west of downtown Minneapolis, off 394 and General Mills Boulevard. And they're also hiring. Want to join the team but don't know where to start? Visit RudyLutherToyota.com today. Javer Helst is a fly tire and fly angler who found new life here in Minnesota. Uh, you talked about the St. Croix River. Is that where you mostly fish? Um, yeah, you know, I, I do fish a lot there. Uh, I, I would say Mi Mississippi over the St. Croix uh, as far as time spent. Okay, um, good. But that is definitely a, uh, yeah, they're neck and neck pretty much. And what are you chasing? Uh, smallmouth bass, hands down, smallies all day long. Is it a size is it a numbers game like what is it for you it's a it, i think that the best way to describe it is the way that my buddy mark you know has described it to me before we went out fishing for the first time it's pound for pound those fish fight incredibly hard and it's amazing what you you know fighting a fish on an eight weight rod and barely being able to hold it <laughs> in your hand and you get a 19, 20 inch smallmouth on, on board. And it's just, Oh, it's like a freight train. It's so much fun. You know, I do a lot of smallmouth fishing and I prefer fly rods for sure. In fact, we used to fish the Mississippi exclusively with fly rods and it's just, it's more intimate, right? It's, it's more of a personal process. I think you said earlier versus just, chucking out something as far as you can. You're thinking about where you want that fly to land. You're thinking about what fly you're using and what it mimics and how it works in the water. You're looking for specific pockets and rocks and current 
seams and current change. I don't know. It's just, I forget about everything when I'm doing it. Exactly. I, I feel the exact same way. There's just so much more to pay attention to while you're doing that, uh, while you're fishing a fly, especially a streamer. Um, it's you are moving it, you are causing it to do stuff. It doesn't have a paddle on the back necessarily for it to go. It's not a whopper plopper that's got a prop bait on the top that's turning over, making the noise for you. You're figuring out how to present that fly to a fish in order to get it to eat. Is it, is part of it to the boat you're using? Uh, I, I do love fishing from a drift boat. And uh, rowing down the river with zero noise is, you know, besides what's around you, is amazing to me. Um, I did have a jet boat for a number of years, um, and I loved it. Uh, but definitely, uh, I prefer rowing and quiet down the river. Um, and being able to disappear from people in Minnesota is just incredible. The rivers here are just fantastic. You know, I... I have a couple of drift boats, one's for sale, shameless plug there. But every time I get somebody in the boat who hasn't done it before, the biggest hardcore walleye and bass heads, being in a drift boat, just letting the river take you and just fishing in that silence, it just changes people. Yep, 100%. And rowing a drift boat. And becoming, you know, and working with the current is just an amazing experience, too. Uh, most people think, oh, I can row a boat, I can row a drift boat. It is not the same. So it's funny you say that. I had a couple of buddies out two weeks ago. And, you know, it's, it's we're victims of circumstance, right? We never fish in our own boats. We're always drifting, no matter who's in the boat and you're on the oars. And the guys the other day were like, no, no problem. Let's do this. And it was instantly 360s and out in the middle, then right up against the banks. Now we're backward. Oh, we're going sideways. Look at there's a rock coming. There are baits up in trees. Oh, how do I go get that? Like it was just chaos and I couldn't believe it. Oh, yeah. The like, pandemonium that comes from that is amazing. I've I, just I know like, yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> Some of the most athletic guys I know have come out and, and rode with me and ran me into everything. And within yes. 45 minutes are like, no, I'm done. And it's not even me saying you're done. It's them <laughs> saying I mentally, I cannot go anymore. I cannot process this. Even when <laughs> there's nothing to run into. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They'll find it. They'll find it. It's like skiing. You know, you don't, don't look at it. Don't look at it. Just back row, just back right. row. <laughs> you're fine. No, no, don't push forward. I told you, you never go forward. Always pull. Yeah. Uh, yep. All right, we'll save that conversation for another day. But I do really <laughs> want to get to a couple more of the specifics on your flies. So oh, yeah. you love smallmouth. What minnow patterns, crayfish? Like, what's your draw? What are you trying to copy? Uh, bait fish patterns, one hundred percent. I love. Well, I can't say one hundred percent. Bait fish patterns would be my first choice on the river every day uh, that I'm going to be casting. Um, even if it's a nice, beautiful July day and you're thinking to yourself, there's going to be a popper action, I typically will be throwing uh, a bait fish pattern, um, particularly the color of white. It's just a fantastic gun to my head. Had one fly 
the fish, you know, color wise, it would be a white bait fish pattern. Gee, that seems like a great name for a fly. Yeah, it does seem like a great name for a fly. Someone should come out with that. <laughs> Which oh, your fly is called what? The whitey. Yeah, the whitey. My favorite fly out there. Uh, my most popular fly out there is called the whitey. And we were lucky enough to swing by your place um, a couple weeks ago, document with our television cameras some of your work, um, some of your process, which will end up in both Minnesota Bound and then our other show, Made for the Outdoors. But you're tying flies like, yeah, this guy swung by. He was screaming at me. They needed six more of them for a trip tomorrow. Like That tells oh, yeah. you the flies are working. 100% the feedback. And this is where like the local stuff, right? Like, I love that someone can just call me up and be like, Hey, Jay, though, you know, the whiteys were working in white, and I also need some more in chartreuse and white. Uh, can you spend some up for me for tomorrow? I love being able to do that way more than getting an order online where I'm sending it out, you know, overseas, having somebody come by the house and give me a high five and you know talk shop with me about the river conditions is just yeah it's fantastic so how often are you tying uh every day every day i wake up i start tying um you know i i on my instagram page you can look and there's usually pictures of a fly with a cup of coffee uh that is how i start my day um and most of that's waking up and seeing either orders online or the fact that I had an idea the night before and wanted to try something different. Um, you know, that's where my other fly, the big head Todd came from uh, big popper fly uh, for largemouth was just woke up one morning and I was like, Oh, I had this great idea and just started tying. And yeah, it's, it's just how I function. I love tying flies. All right. Million dollar question. Tie or fish? Always fish, always fish. I, I would always prefer to be up in front of the casting platform and, you know, uh, casting away 100%. But I, it, there comes a time in every Minnesotan's uh, life, you know, it's called winter, <laughs> where you've got to find something to do. And this is, uh, you know, for me, the tying is just always throughout the winter. Uh, I don't do the ice fishing thing very much. So uh, all those hours I can spend tying is just, it's, it's just been great. So. So are you at the point of your career where you can tie and um, every fly is the same or are you still working on the perfect fly? I'm still working on the perfect fly all the time. And new materials are coming out new ways of doing stuff um i love the internet for this it's great amongst all the professional tires or even the people that are just out there doing stuff uh you get a guy like blaine chocolate who came out with a game changer and it yep. really was a game changer it's amazing but to share that with everyone and for people to kind of build off of that and then all of a sudden you have you know you have a feather game changer now you have um, all these different materials and synthetics that you can do. You have a rubber game changer. You have a game changer tail with a bucktail head. You have all these things that can be added to it. And it's just amazing the collaboration that goes on between fly tires. Yeah. Uh, my sense is a lot of you work in harmony versus against each other. Yeah. Yep. And that's what I love about 
you know, our industry in general, it's, you know, we're always told that we're a small part of fishing and that's great. We are, uh, there's so much different types of fishing and so many different types of fishing out there. And there's, um, bigger groups than us <laughs> everywhere, but the smaller the group, the more intimate it can be. And it's, it's great to reach out to people and be like, Hey, how do you tie this? And nobody's like, I'm not going to tell you. It's like, Oh yeah, here's the pattern. Here's the recipe. Go out and do it. Hmm. All right. So if people want to see your stuff for better yet, make a purchase, how do they find you? Besides Stone going to the great water expo. Yeah. That's a great place to find me though. Uh, but uh, stoneflyworks.com is uh, the name of our website. And um, you can find not only my stuff there, uh, but other patterns there to tie um, and navigate around. But all of the stuff that we have is for sale and, or that I have is for sale. And um, we also have hats, we have shirts, we have things to keep the lights on like that as well. So, and all the support that you can have, um, we do a great recycling program as well uh, through Stonefly Works. So do I dare ask, will there ever be a um, fishing school here? Oh, I would love to set something up like that. Um, you know, I've looked at the DNR, it gives out uh, some different, you know, some money um, some grants for things of that nature. And I think that that would be an amazing thing for Minnesota in general to be able to do. I mean, how many, how great would it be to be teaching kids, especially high schoolers, how to row a boat so they can go out West and get a job, you know, maybe as a rafting guide or maybe doing a fly fishing guide or all, all sorts of other stuff. But just to have that knowledge before they went out, there would be fantastic. And we have the rivers to do it. So it would definitely be a great thing. Sounds like you have another project brewing. <laughs> <laughs> I always do. I always do. You know, my wife says it all the time. You need to, you need to focus and <laughs> it's not easy for me. So. All right. Well, I've kept you. Um, so I got to get you out of here, but be, before we wrap this up, I have two questions that I like to ask all of my guests these days. And, and the first one for you do you have a favorite piece of outdoor gear? Like that one thing that is most important or magical to you? You know, sometimes it's right. Like a shotgun from a grandfather or mm -hmm. a fishing rod that you caught a big fish on. Like, is there something you have that just is your thing? Yes. I, I would say, honestly, hands down, it's my drift boat. And, you know, even if I'm not fishing out of it, it's, and I can take it on the water and just kind of cruise around in it with the kids and stuff. It's, it's a great thing. So my drift boat by far is my favorite piece of equipment that I have out here. Is it clean? Is it well lived in? Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's well lived in, but it's well taken care of too. Um, I wash the heck out of it and, you know, clean it up, uh, after every single trip. So um, I am meticulous about the gear that I have, you know, functioning. So it's, it's uh, one of those things people look at it and they're like, wow, this thing's beautiful. And I always take, you know, great pride in that. So. All right. Second question for you. We know your favorite piece of gear, but is there a moment, an outdoor moment that you look back on that changed you just that one thing that just had an impact on your life? Um, yeah, honestly, 
um, it is and always will be fishing with my dad. Um, that was our biggest connection growing up uh, was he and I being able to fish together. So I hold that above and beyond anything else. Is there a certain spot or a certain place that comes to uh, mind? You know, it's it's perch fishing off the pier and in Holland. And wow. the biggest thing is just him telling me those stories of his family taking him fishing, his uncles taking him fishing and his dad taking him fishing. And then suddenly, you know, you, you get transported back there in your mind all the time. So it's, it, those stories are always, yeah, very special. That's awesome. That's awesome. Those are, those are great, great memories. And now with your kids, you get to make more of those. I plan on it all the time. I love having my kids on my boat. Um, they fish more than I do. And that's, that, that's what they should be doing. So ages, by the way, I have, uh, one 15 year old daughter and a seven year old son. Prime time. Always good. Always looking forward to the next trip with those guys. They're fantastic. Well, Jay, sure do appreciate the time today. What a story. We are uh, lucky to have you here in Minnesota. And I can't wait to see the banner for your fishing school. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me on. And whoever's listening to this and they're going to get that idea. Yeah, come on, bring it. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. I'm game. Stonefly Works. Check out Jay's uh, favorite flies online. Otherwise, watch for the stories on Minnesota Bound and Made for the Outdoors. Uh, so that's the podcast for today. The stories behind the stories. You know, we have so many great sponsors who help us get on the air each week. Of course, the podcast presented by Kinetico. Also, our good friends at the Minnesota Propane Association. Star Bank the Minnesota Historical Society, Rudy Luther, Lakes Gas, and North Dakota Tourism. As we always say, don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.